Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the MLS DG Podcast. My name's Spencer Smith, I'm here with Avery Gorn, and guys, MLS has finally kicked off their 26th season. We had an amazing weekend full of some controversy, goals, draws, and everything that you can think of was able to be manifest in MLS this week. And not only that, a lot of people are forgetting we had CCL as well, so there is a ton to unpack from all these teams. But first and foremost, Ivory, MLS, Major League Soccer is back. What are you what are you feeling? Talk about elation, right? We're finally at the point that we've been waiting for for months. Couldn't have asked for a better start to the season, honestly. And uh, we're here. Yeah, we're here. I know I was just sitting on my couch just kind of watching all of these games all weekend long. And guys, there's a ton to unpack. We have some really good games. And what we are going to do this week for you is we're going to unpack each and every single game. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. As well as kind of go over some big storylines later on about do we have favorites in the West? Do we have teams that are turning it around? We're going to be overanalyzing everything because we're one game in and we've been soccer deprived for months. Okay, So we're going to be able to let it all out here on the show today. And remember to be part of our conversation. Just join our Facebook page, Major League Soccer Discussion Group. We have over 23,000 members and everybody's coming out of the woods just because MLS kicked off this weekend. That's where you can go to talk shop, all things MLS, all things United States, all things soccer, right? Avery, we do have one more exciting thing before we break down all of these games. Do you want to let everybody know what that is, what we just launched this last week? Absolutely. We are officially live on Twitter. You can find us at at the MLSDG podcast. Uh, We'll be sharing content there, talking about the different games. We know that many of you aren't necessarily... Uh, fans of Facebook, so we wanted to give you another platform to hit us up, to get access to the podcast, and uh, just let us know how how you're feeling. So uh, go ahead and give us a follow there, and uh, expect plenty of content. Exactly. You're going to see that Twitter handle used all the time, so be sure. Give it a follow, guys. We're going to be talking shop everywhere that we possibly can, and we want to make sure that we do it with you, okay? And so... Diving right into today's show, before we hit MLS, and we're not going to talk a lot about it, but CCL, okay, we just had the round of 16, we'd already analyzed the first leg, everybody knew where they sat, but guys, for the first time, all five MLS teams have advanced to the quarterfinals, that means eight teams, five of them are from MLS, that is historic in and of itself. Avery, when you see that, what was some of the first things that went through your mind? It's it's huge. Uh, I don't want to make any big um, statements necessarily because we know how CCL has a tendency to break our hearts. But at the very least, we know that we're guaranteed a, an American semifinalist. It's, it's exciting. That's really what it is. There's a chance that Major League Soccer is going to be represented in the Club World Cup for the first time. And we're going to talk about that later. Their first legs of their quarterfinals are next week. It's not going to be the focus of our show today, guys, but we want to make sure that you guys are all aware. Tuesday and Wednesday next week, you guys can catch teams like Toronto, Atlanta, Portland, Columbus, and of course, reigning Supporter Shield champions, 
Philadelphia Union all represent Major League Soccer at a chance to hoist the trophy that has never been held by an MLS team before, okay? But the story of the weekend, what we are going to be focusing on today, every single MLS game brought to you here, broken down. We're going to talk about players, moments, all starting with the very first game of the weekend, the Houston Dynamo hosting none other than San Jose Earthquakes. Avery, kick us off, right? What happened here? Oh boy, it's uh, it's hard to tell if Houston have progressed or if uh, San Jose are just that bad. <laughs> yeah, you raise a really good point there. If we're being completely honest, completely candid. In all truth, uh, good game, better than I expected. Uh, from a Houston perspective, no Darwin Quintero, but they still got the job done. Uh, does this mean that Tab is handing over the creative reins to Memo Rodriguez? Still early to tell. Uh, do you think that they are lacking a little bit of extra quality in that final third, despite the win? Uh, that front three of Fafa Pico, Maxi Ruti, and Tyler yeah. Pather probably isn't going to get you double-digit goals. But I got to say, Tyler Pasher impressed me. Yeah, uh, He put in his time in USL, particularly impressive within the 11. And uh, now he's earned the opportunity in MLS you love to see it, and we want to see more of it. Uh, yeah. On the flip side of things, San Jose, look at a mess again. Cade <laughs> uh, Cowell on an island for most of that game. Uh, fortunate to get a goal from a Paul Marie wonder strike. Wow, but, uh, yeah. You seriously have to, to ask questions a little bit. I mean, they have the preferred guys at this point in time, right? Everybody's fit. A number of names being brought in from Liga Mekis, and they still seem to be having issues. Yeah, I. For those who don't know the final scoreline, two one Houston, right? And Almeida is somebody that it's it's clear San Jose are saying this is our guy, but he has yet to prove it. And the guy had plentiful chances to be able to do it over the past season or so, and it's just never come to fruition. And I get that this season he was able to bring in his guys, and so you do need to give him maybe more than a game because while they may know Almeida's system, that does not inherently mean that they know the league, right? There, You do need to give some kind of a chance for some growth there with some of the guys, but it's not completely unfamiliar. This isn't somebody going to a new country, new league with no groundwork. These are guys reuniting with a former coach, some former teammates, just I, and I get there's a new league and it's been a little bit difficult with COVID and the new transitions that are, are still underway, but you would want more. And I feel like if I'm a San Jose fan, there's nothing wrong with saying that you would even expect more. Would you go that far to say that San Jose should be expecting more from Almeida? Absolutely. I think at this point, Almeida's had a couple years with this team. He has his preferred guys in there, right? He has guys that he worked with at Chivas Guadalajara. Um, and frankly, a lot of them haven't impressed me. I know we're only one game in, but you look at Chofis, you yeah. look at Abacassis, who did unfortunately have to come in early on because of that Tommy Thompson injury. But, um, you know, you would kind of expect more from guys coming in from uh, a league that's argued to be better than MLS. Yeah. And, man, one thing that does not change with San Jose, I, I get we got the players coming in and out, but Chris Wondolowski missing tap-ins. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
I, flashbacks to Belgium are all running through our heads, we know, but but that was such a good chance for them to be able to get something from the first game, and you would expect the Major League Soccer all-time score in history to tap that one in. That was just unfortunate to see, and I know, and I did it myself there, that he's gotten a lot of a lot of crud from people being raked through the mud, missing that tap in with that flashback to Belgium. Guys, we got him for another season. Let's enjoy him. Let's give him the respect that he deserves because he does deserve it. Houston go on to win that one 2-1. We can unravel San Jose all we want. I do want to say something about Houston real quick before we move on. Remember, guys, they are my dark horse. So for the Houston fans out there listening, I really believe that there's something to be made and had from this Houston team. And... It's without Quintero starting the game, and we saw that here today. I think the the system that Ramos is wanting to go is much more of everybody being able to play defense and being able to hold their positions. And Quintero is somebody who's great when the play is coming to him but not going to be able to find the play. And the fact that they were able to get two goals from Memo Rodriguez and, Ma- and Maxi Rudy kind of show that, that system transforming there, and I get it against San Jose, but... It's a system transforming nonetheless. I'm excited to see what they have. Pasher looked great. Memo Rodriguez looked very comfortable. And Tim Parker, who we talked about as one of the big acquisitions, I think had a a solid first game. And we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come. All right. But Houston 2-1, that was the very first game of the week. Right after that, on Fox Sports, we found ourselves all enjoying a Seattle thrashing Seattle versus Minnesota. Okay. I know you watched this game. We all watched this game. What were your takeaways here, Avery? No Morris, no Lodero, no problem. You, you couldn't have said it in fewer words. It's true. It's true. For nothing, man, tons of interesting talking points with this one. Uh, first one that actually comes to mind and knew who Tolo at center back. Yeah, this is a guy who who couldn't defend for his life at left back. Was you know very much looked at a guy who was better going forward. Seems like he's bulked up over the summer playing in a back three. Man, you got to give some credit to Brian Schmetzer. Uh, I know I talked a lot of smack on Seattle in past podcasts, but uh, <laughs> yeah, got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, Schmetzer proved that he's uh, he's capable of navigating change. We'll see whether it's a one-off or not in terms of whether they stick with that back five when the likes of Lodero and possibly Morris are back. I, you know, I don't expect him no. back this season with the, the severity of that injury, but uh, really interesting to see Roldan and Paulo pick up that creative slack. And honestly, a lot of creativity from Brad Smith and Alex Roldan as the wingbacks as well. Yeah. Uh, that was really interesting to see. Um from a Minnesota perspective, I mean, Dane Sinclair is showing why he's their number one right now. Even with a 4-0 so, scoreline. Even with a 4-0 yeah, scoreline, he's I still... Mean, see, I think, did he, did he save a penalty? Yeah, he did save the remember. penalty against Rui Diaz. Yeah, so that was, you know, made a number of impressive saves in that one. Uh, definitely could have been a bigger scoreline if it weren't for him. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to make too much of this game for Minnesota. I do still think that they're going to have a successful season. Obviously, it is a bad result, but, uh, you know, missing Diabasi and Opara defensively, questions over whether we'll see Opara this season still remain, but yeah. Diabasi was a big part of their success last season. Uh, would have liked to see Alonzo and Abila from the start as well. 
and frankly, I'm not sure if I'd rate Hassani Dotson as a winger. Uh, I do think that he looks better as, as a more of a box-to-box guy, but given this system that they play, I'm not sure if we'll see him in that kind of role this season. Uh, that said, reinforcements are coming for Minnesota. Uh, it looks like they're on the verge of signing a French striker, Adrien Honu, and Argentinian winger, Franco Fragapan, I think it's pronounced. I, that's so, a good uh, guess that I got. You know, definitely not a situation where Minnesota should, fans should uh, feel that the sky is falling. Uh, maybe just another opportunity for Adrian Heath to come out next week and say, hey, look, we lost 4 nothing. We're his the favorite. Underdogs. underdogs. Yeah, there it is. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that we're, one. We're all falling for Adrian Heath's master plan. That's what's happening right now. We're all falling for it. We're all going to underrate Minnesota. And what are they going to do? They're just going to be Minnesota, right? Minnesota, don't read too much into this game. It is the first week. However, Seattle, you have every reason to hold your head high, okay? Everything that Avery said there, 100% true. I want to throw a name at you that I thought had a great game for Seattle. The 19-year-old in his first start, Atencion, if I'm saying it correctly, looked really well um, along with Roldan and Jao Paulo. He was asked to be more of a, it seemed like more of a number eight compared to what we've seen from him in past seasons um, as like a number six or even a center back, but he did really well and was able to combine really well with the, with Alex rolled on as well, being able to go inside and outside on, on the wing. It was really exciting stuff from Seattle. It was a game I enjoyed to watch also because the goals that were scored weren't these fluky goals, right? These goals, two of them were, literal tap-ins and those goals to me are some of my most favorite goals to see because it is showing that a team has like dominated you to the point that they have nothing between the ball and the goal and Seattle did it twice and they did it really well um and a shout out to uh the return of Freddie Montero that's going to be really interesting to see in a two striker setting we've been used to seeing just Rui Diaz, but this more of like a 3-5-2 that they got going on really allows them to dominate the final third. Um, They took a little bit to kind of get used to it. Not that the first half was bad going in halftime 0-0. They still dominated in a lot of regards, but it just unlocked in that second half. Expect that to keep going. They are going to be traveling to LAFC. That's going to be a must-watch game. Uh, because it's it's LAFC in Seattle. LAFC, for as dominant as they've been, their team that's always beaten them has been Seattle. Can this be the year that that changes? That's going to be an interesting storyline to see, but uh, stay tuned for that, okay? I really want to introduce this next one, okay? I get that they had a great CCL run, and they're still going, Toronto, but Chris Armis, MLS debut with Toronto, what happened? What happened, Avery? What was the scoreline? 4-2. And he Montreal. lost. It's the Canadian Derby, not in Canada. Yeah, in Florida. In, in Florida, Chris Armis, man, I don't know what Toronto was thinking, but uh, we're not going to get into that right now. Toronto, definitely on the loser side right there, technically at home. But what can you make of this game? 4-2 scoreline for Montreal. Look, on the flip side, you got to give credit to Wilfred Nancy. Yeah. Uh, that appointment is looking more and more like a blessing in disguise. 
you know, I know that there were some questions coming into the season, but when you look at the profile of this guy as a manager, he has more coaching experience than Thierry Henry had playing experience. So definitely somebody that I think has flown under the radar a little bit. Uh, that team hasn't changed a ton in terms of appearance per se, still playing that back five system, but the style is completely different. They're pressing for the first time. Uh, you know, Mihailovic is uh, Was good. feeding the likes of Kyoto and, and Mason Toy. I still think that, uh, you know, I don't want to get too, too high on Mason Toy uh, after that game, obviously did score a good goal, but um whether or not he'll be able to continue that kind of form throughout the season. I'm not sure if he's a double digit striker in this league, regardless. Um, but kind of looking further back, uh, Breyard looked totally at home in that wing back position. Yeah. It's something that I think that Montreal in particular are going to be really excited about because they brought him in with that expectation of somebody who's going to get forward from defense and is going to contribute to the attack didn't really do that so much last season. I think he had maybe two assists the whole season. So something to look at in terms of a guy just being a great fit for the system that a coach wants to play, right? And uh, you know, I don't know what the, uh, the ceiling is for this Montreal side, but one thing's for sure, they're going to be fun to watch this season. Yeah, uh, I've got to be eating my words here because I had Montreal as dead last. And I don't want to read too much into one game, but... I think there was a lot that I underestimated as well as a lot of people did with this Montreal side. And they, they're they all coming together under Nancy and it's, it is working. And I get Toy may not be a double-digit striker, but if he can get you a goal every two or three games with the Montreal system that they have in place, that's going to be good enough. I'm not saying it's great. It's still a position that I would look at, but I think... Mahalovic went off um, and the back line looked pretty, pretty good. If I, in, in, in all honesty, the unfortunate to have one of the goals be a penalty kick. So Toronto didn't even really get their goal from the run of play initially uh, kind of caught a lucky break there and whatnot. But also something to consider is Toronto did play Lyon earlier in the week. And there were several players that did play again. And so that's one thing why I don't want to jump aboard the Montreal is awesome train. But I agree with you. They're going to be fun to watch. They're going to be a priority for me to watch moving forward, at least in these next couple weeks, to really see if they can get their footing in Major League Soccer. But all in all, that's a that's a huge first week for Montreal to beat a rival that they weren't supposed to beat, right? Absolutely. And I think looking at it, Toy may not even have to be that multi-goal striker, yeah. right? Because Romel Kyoto, we know that he is that kind of player, uh, and we know that he's capable of reproducing it. So he doesn't, you know, Toy doesn't necessarily need to be the man for this Montreal side. Uh, looking at Toronto, though, I don't want to read too much into it, right? You know, yeah. given yeah. the context of the CCL, but you have to think that Armas got things wrong this week, regardless of the circumstances, right? You know. He played the, the same 11 from their, their second leg against Club Lyon. Uh, the, the tiredness was really, really evident, particularly in that second half. The, the lack of a plan B in terms of what to do aside from pressing right and just no likes to press in the first place. Uh, it, you know, they barely made it out of their own half most of that match. Yeah. And 
with some understanding, obviously, they are under what would definitely be classified as an injury crisis. I mean, True. most of what they would put out in terms of their actual starting 11 isn't available at the moment, but you still have to, to work with the, the chips that you're given. And yeah. knowing that these guys just played an incredibly hard-fought 90 minutes against Club Lyon just a couple of days ago, you'd think that there would be at least some level of rotation. Yeah, you would, you would hope, but I don't know how much that was possible for him. Um, I'll give him that because I don't, I don't really know who you have in forward when you got Josie and Akinola out and, and you're not that deep in all these positions. So yeah, they were definitely hit by the injury bug. Hopefully that can turn around for them. It's important to remember both of us had Toronto making the playoffs, but we had them making the playoffs because of their core members, because of the guys like a Josie, like a, even a Michael Bradley who we have seen or a, an Osorio who just know how to handle the pressure of those Saturday night lights and, and whatnot. If those guys are not in the system or not in the picture from injury or potential transfer, maybe or one thing or another, Toronto is not going to be that comfortable of a place to be in. But again, we're over analyzing everything this episode, right? So they'll probably be fine in a couple of weeks when everybody comes back and they aren't carrying on CCL. But for right now, just something to be wary about. Um, some guys that did have CCL this week, though, advanced and then kept a shutout. Atlanta playing away at their rivals, Orlando. What do you make of this one? It tied 0-0. Um, no, we both thought this one, and when we had Blaine on last week, uh, we were all talking about how this is the one that we felt like was going to have the most fireworks. And to be honest, it kind of fell a little bit flat of expectations. Yeah. Uh, both teams looked a little toothless at times, if we're honest. Uh, you know, haven't seen that 2020 spark from Nani and Mueller as of yet. Uh, depending on how severe that injury is to Pato as well, uh, it could be a pretty tricky 2021 for Orlando. Uh Looking at Atlanta, though, between CCL and this match, what a signing Santiago Sosa looks like, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Joseph did look dangerous in in that cameo at the end. Obviously, would have liked to have seen him for the entirety of the match. I understand fitness is not uh, making that possible as of yet. But you do have to think that this is a pretty good result for Orlando, given the circumstances and, uh, frankly, their history versus Atlanta. Yeah, the history is the big thing because Orlando and Atlanta have kind of butted heads for a while, and it was Orlando finally being able to beat up on the older brother last season. This was kind of, I felt like, their chance to do it without Jose starting from the from the beginning, and it just didn't come together. And I talked about it last show. I had my reservations about, uh, about how Orlando was going to be able to score with filling the Daryl DK role with a Tesho Akindeli. And especially now if Pato's injured, the best chances of the game came through him. And there was only what, maybe two and, and it, they fell flat. And now that he could be out, we don't have a timeline. It's unfortunate to see, especially in his first game, his debut, uh, it, it just raises a lot of questions. Now I want Orlando to succeed. And I believe that Oscar Perea knows how to navigate these challenges but you got to give him a little bit of time so if we're overanalyzing yes hit the panic buttons orlando but in reality 
no worries. Slow down. Oscar Perez got time. He's going to figure things out. Nani just played his first game with a very weird hairdo, and he's going to be able to just move forward from that. Uh, hopefully shave that off, by the way. I'm not kidding. I don't know why I'm talking about this during our podcast, but guys, see a picture of his hair. It was, I don't know what he was thinking. But but on the field, um, Atlanta, I feel like, have every reason to hold their heads up. They advance in CCL. They get a, a, a clean sheet and a draw away from home, which in MLS you hear a lot. Get the points at home. Steal a draw on the road. They did just that. Sosa, huge. Miles Robinson did really well. Um, I, the goals are going to be interesting to see where they come from because just like Orlando didn't really garner much, Atlanta didn't have too much either, if I'm being honest. And and if I were to hit the worry button for Atlanta, uh, Josef has played in three matches, and I get he hasn't started and finished all of them. Um, he's probably somewhere around the 150 mark, and I think he has one shot on target. So that's just one thing to kind of keep your eye on. That's, of course, between CCL and this opening weekend of MLS, so through through first three games. I'm not too worried about it, but if you're looking for something to maybe keep your eye on for Atlanta, that's the thing. He did an interview with MLS where he described his season in one word, and it was nervous because he's coming back from an injury. He's coming back in circumstances that he's not, too familiar with in this rehab process. So who knows? Are we going to see 2018 or are we going to see a new version of Josef? Just that would, that would be my one, not a storyline right now, but maybe a storyline down the road. Ivory, what do you think? Am I reading too much into things? No, I mean, I think it's a very real concern. I, I do think that they have better pieces than they did when he went down in the first place. So I don't have too, too much concern in terms of, whether or not he's, you know, 100% back to his clinical self, even if he comes back at, let's say, 75% firing capacity, I, I feel like they should have the offensive pieces to either support him or supplement that. I mean, look, they went out and they got uh, Lisandro Lopez, and they do have a number of guys who are looking more in form that they have in the past, you know, Marcelino, uh, Ezekiel Barco. So, those guys should come together again. Look, new coach, relatively new system. We know, you know, those tweaks are going to take a little bit of time, but the style is there, which is the biggest thing for me. Yeah. And so I think, like I said, Atlanta, you're really okay. Orlando, you're really okay. Things are going to work out in the long run. Those are just me overanalyzing things, right? Hit the panic button, everybody. That's going to be my motto of all of this show. Hit it everywhere you can, every chance you got. But uh, no, really, if we're being honest, solid week from Atlanta. Good things to expect from them moving forward. Um, and let's talk about, speaking of like new things, right? We have a new team in MLS that just got their very first loss, right? I, I think we, we kind of all expected LAFC versus Austin to be the, uh, the headline, if you will. They, will, Fer, uh, will Ferrell versus Matthew McConaughey and what not off the field, but on the field, LAFC all day, 2-0 at LAFC. Austin, welcome to the league. What do you got to say about this one? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Look, I think Austin made a, a good account of themselves, despite the loss. Uh, did fade in the second half. Uh, 
it's, it's going to take for time for the pieces to, to gel. And there were some, some surprises in that game. Uh, the fact that Brad Stuver started in goal for Austin was a little bit of an interesting one. Looking into the season, uh, did you think that Andrew Tarbell was going to be the number one? I, I guess that remains to be seen. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep uh, an eye on that goalkeeper battle as the, the season continues. Was surprised that Daniel Pereira, uh, sorry, Pereira started in uh, in midfield for Austin. Yeah. I was thinking that Segura was going to be the starter in that number eight position. Maybe just something that they had, they need to work out, whether it's a fitness standpoint or Josh Wolf kind of just seeing where some of his pieces are in the squad going forward. Uh, but looking at the game itself, awkward miscommunication there in the first half uh, between oh, Bob yeah. Bradley and Carlos Vela. That ruined uh, my fantasy Vela. team, by the way. That just ruined it. He was yeah. my captain. I got two you, points. You and everybody else, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, seems like Vela is okay going forward. I guess we'll see next week, especially going into, uh, you know, quite an important match against Seattle. But overall, LAFC doing LAFC things, right? They were clinical. They got the job done. Uh, despite the fact that I think Austin were probably the better side in the first half, mm. but uh, Muscovitsky and Baird looking totally comfortable in that system, despite the lack of a Diego Rossi, uh, do you have to give credit uh, that international trio from Austin, Pochettino, Redis, and Dominguez? They look good. I think they'll make an impact in this league. Uh, but Pochettino in particular, I think, looked a little bit lost and faded in that yeah, second half. He said that they, they all... They were all pulled by Josh Wolf, which is an interesting move. You know, the guys that you're expecting to kind of carry you, you throughout the season are the ones being subbed off in the second half when you're down. Uh, so, you know, don't want to read too much into that one. But uh, obviously, yeah, like we said, uh, need a little bit of time to gel. Do you yeah. have to give some credit, though? I think John Gallagher looked uh, like a real live wire, had a 30-minute cameo toward the end. Oh, yeah. Coming on for, uh, for Danny Houston. And uh seems like there's going to be a good battle at left back between Ben Sweat and uh, new signing Cole Manage. Uh, you know, overall, Josh Wolf has these guys playing distractive soccer, and uh, I think they'll do well this season. Yeah, I the one the one thing that I really like about expansion teams, because um, there's a lot of things that I don't necessarily enjoy about when they come into the league, like for example, the fact that they can just take players from other teams. Uh, but that's not for this podcast at all. Is is there are so many battles across the field. The The starting 11 that we saw this weekend for Austin will be completely different by the end of the season, right? They're going to be able to continue to make acquisitions. They're going to be able to continue to understand who's able to adapt to a new league, who cannot, and maybe, oh, am I going to be getting this rookie like a Perea, or am I going to be going with Segura? And, and that's a battle you're going to see. Overall, it's important to remember that last season, Miami began their expansion team by playing LAFC at LAFC. They lost one to zero. Um, Austin lose two to zero. Obviously, Miami made the playoffs under very weird circumstances, and Austin and Miami are not the same team. Everybody has Austin doing better and making the playoffs. I still. Don't think that's going to happen. They didn't really change my mind, Austin, if I'm being honest. Like, to quote Avery and some other famous actor, they just looked, all right, all right, all right. You know, they it, it, there was more to be desired from a team that had all of this media hype and, 
And so I'm just saying, let's give him a week or two. Let's give him a give him some time. Give those players like Ponacino, who we just talked about, some time to acclimate. And maybe they're going to be able to translate. It's going to be a really great feeling, though, when they're going to be able to play in front of their home fans. They've looked crazy on the in the offseason being able to go to these closed games where they just stand outside and there's seems to be like 100 or 200 of them just all cheering and chanting and they've got the music and stuff going so austin is a fantastic market i'm hoping for the best but uh lafc was just the better team on the day i expect lafc to continue that throughout the season and expect vela to come back extra hungry this game against seattle this weekend for me that's my big storyline is we didn't get to see Vela, really, and now we get to see him against a more a, a more difficult competition because Austin being new isn't going to be Seattle, right? But uh, it's just going to be a very fun season for the people in L.A. as well. But any, any other thoughts that you have about this LAFC-Austin game that we watched? have to give credit i think to the depth of lafc i think that's something that we don't necessarily talk nearly enough about obviously cifuentes getting that second goal yeah uh baird playing in that new system looks good and muskovitsky playing on the wing as well maybe considerable out of position a little bit but you know bob bradley has shown that he has that skill to get the pieces and make them fit an idea and have these players buy into it. And I think that's only going to be uh, more cause for success going forward for LAFC. Hey, you said it right there. Uh, expect LAFC to, and Seattle to have their fireworks. Hopefully not like what we predict, predicted with Atlanta and Orlando, but nonetheless, that's going to be a very fun game to watch this weekend. One game that ended up being uh, having more fireworks than I think people were perhaps expecting DC and New York City. Okay, that that game's not going to get the headlights. They weren't the best game of the week. They were probably mid-level, but honestly, I expected this one to be a punchless draw uh, between two sides that are just bleeding, apparently, on all ends. But, but DC did really well in being able to kind of get their head underneath this new coach in Losada and, and pull off a win. Two to one. What do you think? Yeah, got to give credit to Lasada. I think that appointment went uh, under the radar a little bit. Obviously, not a ton was necessarily known about him coming over from Belgium, but uh, tactically really interesting, right? That 5-4-1 shape from D.C., it looked like they had a diamond in midfield. At times, uh, yeah. Which was, was, was curious with the whole fullback situation, or sorry, wingback situation. I, I think that's really ideal for, uh, for Mora and Gressel, looking at the way that they played in that game, that's where they created the bulk of their chances. Obviously, looking at the first half, really great combination play from New York City FC. Have to give credit to them, especially on that first goal. Uh, no surprise that Tinnerholm was the one who started it all. Yeah, and Pretty dominant 20 minutes. Honestly, really unlucky to be uh, not up by more than one goal and did end up kind of biting them in the butt later in that game. But you have to think that, uh, you know, looking at that game, since they're going to play each other so many times this season, yeah. uh, probably a different game with Thiago Andrade in there for NYCFC. Just someone who is going to finish off those chances. We know that Tati Castellanos is not the most clinical of strikers out there, really is more of a winger, uh, kind of playing in a centralized position. 
but uh, it'll be interesting to see the identity of this DC team this season. You know, are they going to be that counter-attacking team that creates from wide that they looked like in this game? Uh, or was this just them capitalizing on, you know, poor moments from NYCFC? Um, from a goal perspective, <laughs> I mean, take a bow, Brendan I. Kynes, oh, right? Yeah. That's one heck of a way to announce yourself in MLS. Uh, also, just terrific on set pieces from DC. Uh, you know, obviously the the Hike Eins goal, the Canoe's goal on the second one, but more than one time, definitely causing NYCFC problems. And, uh, you know, got to give some credit. Russell Kanaus uh, yeah. finally looks at home. In and healthy. what seems to be, I guess, a Shuttler role on the diamond. But, I mean, this is a guy that just got thrown over all the places. Was playing center back, was playing right back. It's kind of anywhere the team needed him. But yeah. now he's finally playing in, a, in his proper position. And he's showing why, uh, you know, they made all that effort to go and get him from Germany. Yeah, no, Knauss did look really good. And, and honestly, DC as a whole looked excited, I think is the best word to put it. And I really... The reason I say that is uh, one of my big takeaways from the game, even though it happened off the pitch, was uh, actually a video that I think DC put out after the game where they show the locker room and the match ball goes to the coach. And the whole players, yeah, the players said they wanted him to have it. And he took it and he was just like, guys, this is just the beginning. Like, they don't estimate us. We've got this. And they just go crazy. And, And so honestly, that... That showing of unity and excitement and passion in a locker room is something that every championship team needs, okay? And I get it's the first week you're pumped to be back out is that kind of energy can last throughout the season in the locker room and on the field. DC United have a real chance to turn their season around from what we saw last year. Um, New York City... Guys, there still needs to be some changes here and there. They did look, like you said, dominant, and they could have put in their chances, but they didn't. And in a game of soccer, it's either you do or you don't. And today, they did not. I should say this weekend, they did not. And, and I mean, you do have the bright spots, and and there's good people across the field that you mentioned, Tanner Holm and, and Castellanos and whatnot. But, guys, uh, you need a little bit more. I'm sorry for the whole thing going on with your front office still no stadium still nowhere to to kind of let that passion out these teams are going to face each other a lot so this could have perhaps just been the first punch um we'll see how new york city respond next week um but honestly from this one good showing from dc united very pleased very excited especially without some guys like a Ola Kamara, Paul Ariel uh, playing or with not many minutes. You know what I mean? So, anywho, good stuff, good stuff, right? But uh, let's look at one where there was uh, kind of some other rivals, if you will. FC Dallas hosting Colorado Rapids. This one finished in a 0-0 draw. So exciting. I, I got to admit, I was really disappointed by this one. Yeah. You know, looking at the, the style that both teams play, was expecting a multi-goal game. Both teams did create chances. I do think Dallas looked the better of the two, yep. obviously lacking in that, that cutting edge. Uh, interesting to see Dallas tactically, that 3-4-2-1, 
uh, you know, Hollingshead and Nelson look good as wingbacks getting forward. I think uh, Freddie Vargas looks like he's going to be a really fun player to watch in MLS. But uh, definitely some some concerns maybe for both these teams in terms of, uh, you know, just finishing chances. It's something that we, we saw a little bit last season as well in terms of Colorado not really having a a proper number nine, right? You know, they, they have two strikers in Shinishiki and Diego Rubio who are really better as kind of uh, supporting strikers. And FC Dallas, they went out and spent a bunch of money getting Frank O'Hara uh, the last summer and, uh, you know, created plenty of chances. This guy should be putting them away. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, have cool. to kind of wonder if that continues, you know, do they go back to... Uh, to Jesus Ferreira, do they you know let Ricardo Pepe have a chance? You know maybe we're overthinking this. It is early in the season, but overanalyze, uh, my friend, overanalyze. Yeah, there there is that dichotomy in FC Dallas where they have so many young players that they bring through that system. But we saw last season that uh, a lot of those young players, contrary to their philosophy, really ended up kind of getting benched for for more veteran players. Yeah. Honestly, this one overall, I, I think everything that you said there, spot on, and we can overanalyze it all you want. FC Dallas, um, it was good to see the return to Paxton Pomichol, if we're talking about those young players. Um, I, I know he only got a handful of minutes and whatnot, but uh, just good to see him back there. Uh, it would have been nice to see Jesus Ferreira, who has looked good in the recent U.S. friendlies, not crazy in the Olympics, but uh, still enough that you would hope he'd get regular playing time in a team that boasts their youth. Um, but we didn't see him. Um, one player that I did like, we're because we're talking about how they're getting, these young players are perhaps getting replaced by maybe these foreign talents or these older veteran guys. Um, in the center defense, Matt Hedges and then, uh, what was it, Jose Antonio Martinez, I believe is, is who it was, looked really well. And especially for a debut as a center back, you're going to get rated on, did you concede a goal? Obviously, they didn't. Looked pretty well, pretty comfortable, and that is one of the trademarks of Dallas is they don't necessarily throw a bunch of, of goals at you, but they are not going to let you score those easy ones. Um, and they didn't today. They didn't against Colorado. They did really well there. Uh, that's a center back pairing to pay close attention to, in my opinion, as we uh, go throughout the season because... One thing that I always like doing, for the record, this is kind of a weird thing, but I always enjoy seeing which team is the last one to concede a goal. You know, and just kind of, a, it's just a weird little thing I do, and I think FC Dallas have a real chance to be able to do that because of the chemistry there, and, and and so that's something I'm going to be keeping my eye on. But overall, there weren't as many fireworks, especially from, and I want to hear your opinion on, on the young Colorado side as well. Um there was a lot to make of this team and a lot of people liked the direction they were going at the end of last season. They have the same pieces. If anything, they added a Barrios with some speed and it just didn't come up to anything. There wasn't really the fruition in this first game uh, with the youth. Yeah. I mean, they were missing a couple pieces defensively. Sam Vines is still injured. The fact that they don't have an out and out, uh, left back backup and Kellen Acosta had to play there is a little bit concerning from a roster build standpoint. Um, 
uh, Lalisa Bubakar also missing through injury. But you have to think this is a bit of a make-or-break situation, right? Yeah. Uh, they put their faith in these young guys. Some of these guys are, in some respects, reclamation projects from other MLS teams. And uh, you would expect them to, to come good this season. Uh, you know, they've had a, a little bit of time under Robin Frazier at this point in time. And uh, it's just a matter of whether they're going to make that next step up or not. Yeah. Honestly, I, I hope for it. And, yes, we did miss a few of them from injury. But, I mean, when we look at, like, a Jonathan Lewis and uh, or Shinya Siki who got some time out there, it was not what you wanted to see. But, again, give it some time. Let Sam Vines, Abubakar come back, and it may be able to help them get some freedom up along the wings, knowing that they're secure in the back. Um, overall, not much more to take from this game. One game that I very much enjoyed watching, and this is showing my Homer roots, um, Kansas City come from behind to win against the New York Red Bulls away. They were one of two teams to do that this weekend. Um, two to one's the final score. What do you have to make of this? I know that uh, we have some friends of ours, uh, maybe a shout out to uh, Saul and to Patrick, our New York Red Bulls fans who probably have a different take on this game from me altogether. But uh, personally, Avery, you, when you look at this, what stood out? Look, I mean, I, I have to give credit to the Red Bulls as much as it pains me to say that as a Union fan. Uh, they do look better than I expected. Uh, interesting in terms of a, a big focus on the fullbacks in this one. I think Andrew Goodman uh, might be a bigger acquisition for the Red Bulls than I think a lot of people give yeah. credit. Uh, obviously, unlucky on the penalty on that one, but uh, looks good going forward. Looked good defensively aside from the penalty. Uh, I definitely shut down uh, Kansas City's wing for most of the game in that respect. Obviously, nice delivery from uh, from Kyle Duncan on that Red Bull goal and uh, Jalen Lindsay on, on Kansas City's second. So a lot of, a lot of fullbacks getting forward in this yeah. game. Um, they're, they're an interesting team. It'll be curious to see how they develop under, under uh, Gerard Struber this season playing that kind of pressing style with the diamond midfield, not unlike Philadelphia. Um, obviously Caden Clark only scores bangers <laughs> and uh, have to have to give credit to uh, Diara as well in some and uh, central defensive midfield looks like the kind of guy who's going to, you know, lock it down for them. seems like it allows the likes of uh, Christian Casares to get forward, which yeah. is probably more of a strength of his than kind of playing in that number eight role. So, uh, from a Kansas City perspective, I mean, weird situation with the goalkeepers, right? Pulls camp yeah. looked uh, a little bit rough on his distribution early on, but I can't imagine he's going to play too many games this season, obviously, with, you know, three or four keepers in front of him that just, in a freak way, happened to be injured. Um, you know, Busio looked very active in that game. Still, debate is out on whether he'll earn that number 10 jersey this season, right? It really has to kind of grab the the team by the reins as yeah. far as being that main creator. Uh, but good news for Kansas City, Daniel Shaloy getting a goal oh, for that was feels like so the first nice. time in years. Yeah, I think, I mean, he had that great season in, what was it, 2018? And then he went all of last season without a goal. And then the season before that, I think he had won, right? And so it was just... Very refreshing to see him. If you had to pick any player opening day to score a goal from the run of play, Daniel Shalloway, that's the one that you wanted to see. It was great to see him build that confidence. 
Um, honestly, initially I was surprised to see him get the run out over uh, Johnny Russell, um, but I trust in Vermees. It worked out and whatnot. Um, to go to your comment about Gianluca Busio, it was interesting to see him play, of course, wearing the number 10, but as a that number 9, more of like a false 9, if you will, but, but a number 9 nonetheless, and when he's definitely somebody who looked... When we saw some sub changes and Alan Polito entered the game, he fell back into the midfield and looked much more comfortable. He was allowed to dictate play. He was allowed to be able to be more involved instead of coming back to the play and having his back work away from goal. He was able to face goal and be able to know where the outlets were. He looked really well in the midfield. I still expect him to have a great year. I can't read too much into this because he did spend 60, 65 minutes in a position that he's not familiar with. Um, but he still held his own there. Um, overall, Kansas City, a shout-out to uh, the back line, completely new. I don't think they'd ever played together. We had Fontas, Lindsay, Ishmael, uh, Marine, and then, of course, Luis Martins and Pulse Camp. Like, I don't think those guys played one game, obviously without Marine there. They didn't play at all, but Fontos didn't play very much last season, and Jalen Lindsay's just getting the starting point, starting spot, excuse me, over Zusi. And and Pulse Camp in his first game, I don't know. It was just for a young back to concede one goal off of that, what was a really nice goal from Clark, which that was my person to keep an eye on for fantasy, by the way, last one, but also throughout the season. I don't think he's getting the love that he should. And he showed that this one expect bigger things from him, but it was just very comforting to see a young and rather inexperienced in cohesiveness of a back line put something together. And so, honestly, as a Kansas City fan, thrilled with a two to one result. I get New York Red Bulls kind of owned the first half, if you will. To my Red Bulls fans, I feel like it's almost more frustrating though because they they really dominated the first half, but they couldn't create any chances. I don't know if you have something to say about that, but they they looked so threatening until that final third or the final pass and it just kind of fell apart. Yeah, you do have to wonder where the goals are going to come from for them because contrary to popular belief maybe, uh, you know, they, they're not going to be able to rely on Caden Clark to score bangers every week. No. Uh, so, the, you know, they, they are going to need to, to get some production from whether it's going to be a Brian White or that new signing Fabio, uh, you know, hopefully the the for them the the system will do part of the work in that respect, because with a, you know a pressing system, you are going to create um, chances off of you know mistakes and, and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you need somebody to put them in the back of the net. And you know what? If it's Caden Clark scoring bangers every week, that's fantastic. But. Uh... It's likely not going to be. And New York Red Bulls, I don't know what to tell you, but Danny Royer may be on his way out, question mark. We're not going to talk about that a lot today, but he started on the bench, and it's rumored that the Red Bulls are looking to ship him. Um, A Western Conference team, from my understanding, is interested, so maybe something to keep your eyes on. I think that would be a very rash move, but under Struber, it's clear that he's wanting to go younger. Hence, also the acquisition of Frankie Amaya, who we talked a lot about on the Facebook page. New York dished out just near a million dollars for him. 
And I think that's the most that the New York Red Bulls have paid for a person inside the league. And so it's just one thing that I think is another storyline for the Red Bulls this season. You're going younger, which is exciting when it works. If it doesn't work, you look foolish. And so they're taking a, in my opinion, I think it's the right direction. But is it too quick? I would keep Danny Royer. I would help him teach these younger guys. He should have started the game, in my opinion, especially in a first half where they were dominating. Um, but what can I say? Red Bulls are going to Red Bull. So at least it's not under Chris Armas anymore. So let's let's look at uh, – we've got a few more games left ahead of us. We have the final five, okay? New England Revolution playing at Chicago in what was – Kind of a pretty fun game to watch, especially the first little bit. Uh, two to two draw, Avery. What do you got to say about this one? Kind of a wild start. I yeah. Mean, spidered out a little bit. I mean, four goals in something like the first 20 minutes. I mean, look, good point on the road for, for New England, for sure. Especially coming back from, from two nothing down. Uh, looking at Chicago, you know, obviously Barrett's picking up where he left off last season, but... You can say the same thing about the Chicago defense, honestly. <laughs> yeah. uh, pre- pretty brutal uh, to give two goals up at home. Uh, you know, sh- for New England, shell-shocked first 10 minutes. But, man, that, that front three of Buxa, Gil, and Boo, just so consistent, right? I mean, Buxa on the first one. I think it's Boo who got the second one right. Yeah. Uh, just and coming off of set pieces, too, is huge. Uh, I think that's such an asset for, for teams in this league. But a good back-and-forth game, you know. Obviously, a silly red for Jones yeah. uh, toward the end of that one. And you would think a wasted chance to, to win it for Chicago at the death. But Honestly, it's a front three in New England that you're going to be able to trust. But the way that it ended is just not the way that New England would have wanted with the red card and just some weird controversy there at the end. The penalty, not penalty. But... uh I have a lot of bright spots to say about Chicago in this one. And I get the defense is going to get the headlines. They gave up the goal. But a past Chicago team gives up another one and loses it. Right? Especially when the all the goals came in the first 20 to 30 minutes. That's an hour where Chicago held on. And you could argue that they should have had a few, perhaps for New England. But also Chicago should have had a few. And uh, I think... They're going in the right direction. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Barrett does this season. I really liked him last season, and I think this season he got off right off the bat, obviously with a goal and assist in the first 10, 12 minutes. Um, can he keep that going if he can? And that first goal, by the way, a beautiful team goal by Chicago. When you watch the buildup and the play, you're wondering if you're really watching the Chicago Fire. Okay, that's just what it was. I'm, I'm not saying it's like a slander. It's a compliment, but it's just unexpected from you guys, right? The Chicago Fire pulled off a really classy tap-in goal. It's, it's Blanco-esque. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's refreshing to see in Chicago in the Windy City, right? Um, New England on the road, good to get a point, rough to get the red card at the end. Uh, they're everybody's dark horse. They're a dark horse that we've mentioned to be able to compete for the East and potentially even the Shield. Not the way you want to get a run like that started. Um, how much do you think, Avery, that Bruce Arena reads into 
how his team did. I mean, I think he'll give himself a pat on the back in the sense that coming back from two goals down away from home is showing a lot of great character. Uh, obviously, you know, internal conversation with Jones on that one as far as the sending off. But frankly, they have a Christian Moffler who can slot right into that left-back spot and should do the job just fine. Uh, this team is going to score goals, which I think is a huge, huge asset for them. Uh, whether or not they'll keep it together defensively, I guess we'll see. You know, we gave a lot of credit last season to that back line. You know, a nice pairing with uh, with Henry Kessler, the rookie last season, and Andrew Farrell. Uh, obviously, Brandon By with an interesting transformation into uh, to a fullback. Uh, look, it's it's not a you know a, a totally etched out pathway. We know Bruce Arena gets results, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't going to be slip-ups every once in a while. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, no, you said it right there. There are going to be slip-ups, if we're just being honest. Uh, New England, I think you guys are fine. Um, if anything, I think this is just a compliment to Chicago and being able to... Because I think a lot of people expect in New England to just kind of walk in, get their points, and leave. And Chicago's not having it. So... I'm excited to see Chicago continue to grow, um, especially because I chose Barrich uh, in my fantasy team, and I went out on a limb, drafted him in the second round in our little friendly draft league that you and I that you and I are a part of. But uh, paid dividends there. I know you have Buska, so we were both invested in this game. But uh, two-two draw, both of them expect some changes, expect some exciting stuff down the road. Um, speaking of some of the, uh, unexpected, some changes, Nashville's back line versus the Cincinnati attack. I think everybody was like, Hey, Nashville's solid and Cincinnati has no attack, but Cincinnati, you got two quick goals and they were leading on the road two to one for the longest time. Just a, a game that has totally turned all of our preconceived notions about both of these teams on its head, right? Yeah. Uncharacteristically bad defensively for Nashville. Uh, Got to give credit to Cincinnati. They pressed terrifically, which forced the mistakes on those two goals. But then from a counter perspective, uh, giving up two goals to yeah. tie it up is, you know, a rough look for what's been a pretty good defensive team in Cincinnati last season. Obviously, couldn't score to save their lives last year, but did shore up the back line in many respects. But looking at the big picture, I mean, Cincinnati's offseason acquisition is coming up big. Monterita with the assist on the Acosta goal, uh, Brenner scoring that penalty. I mean, look, if those guys play like that for, I don't know, two-thirds of, that, of the season, we could very well be looking at Cincinnati as a playoff team. I I love the overanalyzing because I don't think Cincinnati inevitably makes the playoffs, but today they win Supporter Shield. They are just ripping everybody's expectations up, tearing it into shreds, and just saying this is our house, okay? I loved watching this game, to be honest. I was watching the Kansas City game, but I would like switch over at halftime, and I and then obviously the time started a little bit different, so I was able to catch a good chunk of it. And, you know, we can talk about how Cincinnati class at the end, yes. But we need to talk about how Cincinnati scored 12 goals all of last season. And they scored two goals in their very first game. And both of them, and I get Brenner's was a penalty kick. But 
both of them deserved. And go back, do yourself a favor, take the 10 seconds that it will, and watch Cincinnati's first goal. And look at the touch that Lucho Acosta takes, that little dink over the keeper, when he's just one-on-one about less than six yards from goal, ball coming, keeper right at him. Oh my goodness. That right there, that's kind of that, uh, we were wondering what kind of Lucho Acosta were we going to get. If this is any indication of an answer, Cincinnati fans, you need to be expecting a great season because he's going to do that a lot. Having those little like nice deft touches here or there to get around and whatnot and finish it off. Well done, Cincinnati. Nashville, um, we also need to kind of give credit to the Shrosh, the, the shot cross from Randall Leal uh, that was able to salvage a point at home. Look, he's going to say that he meant to do that all day. He didn't mean to do it. I'm saying it now. He did not mean to make that. But uh, he made it nonetheless. Very pretty goal. Kind of reminds me of a season or so ago. We saw Benny Failhaber in Portland hit that kind of a same area and whatnot. And it did the same thing. We see it from time to time. And it's always mind-blowing when it happens. But you know it's an accident. But Nashville don't care. They were able to get the two goals. But still a lot of questions to be asked. Which one are you more concerned with, Ever? if you're a Nashville fan? Are you concerned with the Nashville defense, which we know last season was one of the best in the league? Or are you concerned with the offense? Was this a fluke for the offense and getting two goals when they're used to getting none or just one? Which one are you more it's, concerned it's with? Hard, it's hard to say, honestly. I think giving up two goals early on, it is a bad look, but we know that the quality is there overall. Uh, but you look at throughout the course of the rest of the game, I mean, Titan in goal for Cincinnati had a big, big game because, frankly, after that first 20 minutes, it was really old Nashville for the most part. Uh, you know, I was looking at, uh, at that new signing, Pinero, to kind of be their main creator, but maybe it is going to be a Randall Leal. Maybe it is going to be a, a Hani Mukhtar. Uh, you know, obviously that, that goal was a fluke, but gorgeous assist on the other one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that the quality is there. Maybe we're just kind of looking into this one a bit too much. You know, it's not as if their identity has changed, right? And that they're this, you know, forward-thinking yeah. attacking side yeah. now. But some of the pieces are kind of coming together. I mean, Yonder Cadiz scoring that goal, uh, we know that they struggled offensively last season and they do only have him through the summer but could he be the striker that they need until they you know maybe go out and get somebody proper long term in the summer when his uh his load is up yeah one here's one one more question for you about these guys nashville cincinnati this was their first time playing each other inside mls fireworks i guess it was the first game of the season is this one of those potential rivalries that becomes something throughout the years in MLS is this one that we can expect to see it because geographically we tend to see MLS kind of pushes those they're not crazy far away they had a lot of fireworks and there was a lot of kind of some heated feelings and some passionate emotions shown is this one of the things that we could expect to see from these teams there's a new rivalry here you know I don't know if there's enough animosity there honestly the geographic thing definitely seems to play more of a major role, but we already kind of have some of those in MLS in terms of MLS pushing the whole Cincinnati and Columbus thing and Nashville have, you know, Charlotte coming into the league. 
True. We'll see. Obviously, Eastern Conference sides, they're going to play each other a ton this season. Yeah. So it could be an opportunity to, you know, build a little bit more of that uh, that rivalry throughout the season. But I yeah. think there's something to be said for a situation where we know that we're going to get a good game. That's not necessarily considered a rivalry. It's just a, a you know a match that supporters and then neutrals alike can enjoy. Yeah. Honestly, the only reason I ask is because and Nashville fans hit me up here. I'm just confused who your guys' uh, true rivals are. I know that they kind of have a little bit of Atlanta even, as we saw at their home opener last season. Um, but it's still something that I think is looking to be developed by MLS. Um, it could also be perhaps a St. Louis when they enter the league as well. We'll see. But uh, speaking of some rivalries, what we have dubbed the David Beckham Derby is one that I feel MLS is just pushing at us, but we are just enjoying. Two to three, LA Galaxy come from behind to beat Miami at Miami. What do you got to say about this one? I mean, you kind of have to point and laugh at Miami, honestly. <laughs> a little bit of a ridiculous situation, as we know, with the whole DP thing, having to loan one of their DPs, one of their fourth DPs, illegally so, <laughs> uh, to their USL League One side. Uh, they did show that they are capable of scoring, which they struggled with last season. But uh, for all that talk of a defensive re- rebuild, uh, still look pretty rough defensively. Uh, you know, added half of Seattle's defense to their roster, and uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, some some things do change. I can say that definitely with some certainty with respect to the Galaxy. Uh, Chicharito matches his 2020 goal total, right? In one game, and uh, apparently all he needed was good service. Who knew? I I'd never thought it would have been that simple. That's crazy. If you pass the ball to him, he can score. Didn't see that adding up, right? But no, he did really well, and you could see, and especially if you guys haven't watched his post-match interview, it's just for a minute or two where he just lets everything out. Last year was a rough year. He takes full responsibility um, for things on and off the field, but you could see the emotion just pouring out in that interview. You could see it on the field, scoring those goals. I expect really great things from him. I really do. I think he's primed for a big year. Um, LA Galaxy, I had and I got flack from this when way back when we did our previews and who we predicted in the top and whatnot. I had LA Galaxy finishing in the top three in the West as my big huge surprise. And I think if you have a healthy and confident Chincharito, that's not far fetched anymore. Right, people could have called me back for it then, but I think that there's some validity and some water that that it can hold there. I still have some questions about them defensively, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, of course. Know, they might they might be one of those teams where we look at them and go, you know, can they win every game for three this season? Uh, but we'll, we'll see as, as the the season goes on, especially with the summer window. They made some smart acquisitions offensively looking at Victor Vasquez and, uh, and Grand Sear, as well as Kevin Cabral. Uh, we'll see if they do a similar level of investment with the defense in the summer. Uh, it's tricky because they kind of went heavy on guys from around the league in that respect. I mean, yeah. they, they brought in um, 
are right back from DC United, obviously will will fight for that spot with Julian Araujo, uh, bringing in Jorge Villafania from from Portland, yeah, and then that that duo of uh, stairs and um, one of the other guys that they they brought in from Montreal who was originally a, a center forward. It, it looks a little bit hodgepodge, but maybe they just need some time to gel. It if they can gel, great. I think I think uh, Bond did. Pretty well. It's important to recognize that, yes, Miami scored two goals, but one of them was very, very questionable in offsides or not um, with a really high line from L.A. in that moment. So you'll see Vanny uh, adjust that or whatnot. But also the other one came from an unfortunate penalty kick, something that I do not think should have been a penalty kick. Viafania got very unlucky. And frankly, in my opinion, when you go back and watch it, it looks like Viafania is actually the one that gets fouled. But... You know what? Those are two referee decisions that ultimately that Miami was able to capitalize on. And for the confidence of Robbie Robinson, that's a big thing. But uh, guys, I don't know. I really just, I'm believing in this LA Galaxy team to be able to begin to turn things around. And it's just good for the league when LA Galaxy plays well. And I know that's stupid. I don't necessarily want them to, uh, I hate dynasties. And I feel like the two that we have had are, like uh, the LA Galaxy one from several years ago, but really, guys, they haven't—they've made the playoffs once out of the past four seasons. They're not the dynasty. They're not the ones on the top of everybody's head anymore. So seeing them be able to make a change like that and the confidence in the locker room—something I'm personally excited about. But uh, some teams that are doing really well in MLS had great last seasons. Went head to head this season after playing in Concacaf Champions League. The Columbus Crew hosting. Philadelphia Union, that one finished at a fantastic 0-0 draw. Okay, I know you watch this game, Philly fan and all. What are your takes here? I, I called it last week. I said it was either going to be a really excellent back-and-forth game or it was going to be a 0-0 because both these teams played CCL. And we got the latter. I mean, it's a good result on the road for Philadelphia. They did start to fade in that second half. Uh, I, I do have some concerns about that squad depth. Uh, although there are several guys that are, are still kind of returning from injury. Uh, overall, definitely scrappier than I expected. A lot of yellow cards in that second uh, half. A lot, yeah. Do have to admit Columbus looked the, the better side, but I think it's mostly because they were just fresher. They rotated in, at CCL's second leg. Uh, admittedly, Zardes barely saw the ball, but that's kind of almost intentional. I know they kind of limit his touches to really in and around the box. Uh, but definitely both teams created chances. Uh, the fact that it was, you know, nil-nil is a little bit of a, a misnomer. It was a pretty good back-and-forth game for most of it. Uh, looking at player-wise, I mean, Leon Flack continues to look like a solid signing for Philadelphia uh, in terms of that, uh, yeah. that midfield. A little bit surprised Curtin just made the one sub, especially with CCL games ahead of them. Yeah, that was weird. And, how, how tired they looked in that second half, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with CCL going forward. Yeah, this is a game of, I really think it was just CCL. Yes, Columbus looked the better side. There was the uh, close penalty decision that was not a penalty with the Pedro Santos foul outside the box, um, which was a, the right call. Um, but just a 0-0 draw from two heavyweight teams 
Uh, honestly, I don't know if you're a fan, if there's anything to really get upset about over this one or to get super pumped about. You, you advanced in CCL this week, and you didn't concede a goal in MLS opening weekend. Yeah, it could have been better, but honestly, it could have been much worse. Both these teams tie 0-0. Expect fireworks throughout the season, but uh, especially when they've got CONCACAF Champions League the next two weeks in the quarterfinals, it's going to be interesting to see how they juggle that um, as we get more entrenched into the season. Avery, we have one final game. One final game. We've talked about every single team. Love you, RSL. We didn't talk about Real Salt Lake, I guess. Even though this game happened at Rio Tinto Stadium, okay? The game of the night, the Portland Timbers, and I'm going to say this correctly, the Portland Timbers lost. That's not that's not a joke. They lost to Vancouver. The Vancouver Whitecaps did beat them 1-0. Lucas Cavallini getting the goal off of the corner. What do you make from this one? Because honestly, Portland looked very static there didn't seem to be a ton of life from them is this playing at altitude after having a bunch of ccl run through their legs or what is it it's it's a tricky one i I don't want to make too much of it obviously it is a good result for vancouver but sloppy from both sides uh there was some nice interplay at time from portland but that that final pass that final shot was really lacking and i think that you can probably chalk it up to just how many attacking players that they're missing through injury and tired like through ccl you made a really good point i'm sure that the uh the altitude plays a factor as well obviously both teams not really used to playing in that kind of environment uh from a vancouver perspective though gotta give credit maxime crapo uh had a good game for vancouver definitely kept them in it at times uh phenomenal header from lucas cavallini on the corner uh the marking wasn't great from portland but so maybe ignored for the sake of just giving some some credit to Vancouver. If Gutierrez has that kind of delivery for Vancouver all season, they can be a major major threat on set pieces. Yeah, they really could. I I was more impressed with Vancouver, um, and they also it's important to realize they almost had that second goal got called back after some VAR and stuff. But they uh they looked better than what I think many of us thought. And of course I'm hesitant not to overanalyze Portland, but to overanalyze, overanalyze Vancouver because they were able to train at altitude. This is their first game. Vancouver's whole thing is consistency. They can have good moments every now and again, but they are just not uh, somebody that you consistently see it from, but you have every reason to hold your head high for Vancouver. It's the beginning of a new season. Um, if they can be dominant on set pieces and hold it in the back, that's all you need. There have been some real clear playoff teams in the back. Look at just Nashville last season who regularly won games 1-0 to zero, uh, or 0-0s zero because they were able to just hold it in the back and then they used set pieces. Their their guy, Walker Zimmerman, was able to get it in and, and whatnot. But uh, honestly, Vancouver being able to beat a rival on opening weekend – when everybody rated them nowhere, just a big thing all around. So I'm excited to see how they move forward. Portland, I think, is obviously still going to be a threat. Remember, they won 5-0 to zero against Marthon this last week as well, even though we didn't talk about that game. They did. And it's something that uh, shows that, look, Yimmy Char is legit. He can score goals. Diego Villeri is not done. And if they can get a healthy uh, Sebastian Blanco here in the next bit, 
look, they, they've got the pieces to be a real contender still. Don't read too much into this first one, but uh, that that's what I got to say, right? MLS, opening weekend. We talked for a lot, okay? There's a lot of storylines that we can continue to dive into, but guys, let's just take a moment and breathe and realize there are games this week too, right? Over the past few weeks that we've been doing this, we haven't had MLS regularly in and out and in and out, but now we have it on a regular basis. It's only going up from here, guys, and so we want to overanalyze a few more things. We're going to rapid fire Western Conference Seattle. We're going to we're going to rapid fire the the teams at the bottom. We just talked about Vancouver in the past shows we talked about Vancouver, Cincy, Montreal, DC. We said that they were down the drain. Don't don't turn your eyes here avert at all costs, but are they turning a new leaf? Is this a, like a flick? We're going to rapid fire these questions and a few more as we come to the end of our show. Ivory, I'm going to throw it at you. Seattle, they win 4 to 0. Everybody that I've seen that analyzed them going into the week had them making the playoffs, but they weren't going to win the Western Conference. They were going to get maybe a fifth seed, maybe a fourth seed, but they weren't going to be able to be at the top like we've expected them to without Ladero and without Morris on a regular basis. Seattle heard everybody. Are they, at this moment, the favorites to win the West? I still think it's LAFC, if I'm honest. Seattle are good. Uh, whether they have the depth throughout the rest of the season, I still have some questions over uh, that quality on their bench. Uh, could be proven wrong. We've seen some uh, some impressive performances from some fringe guys and some guys coming through the academy, but I do still think that uh, LAFC are the favorites. I, I, I think uh, Seattle has something to say about it. I think that LAFC, you could throw in maybe LA Galaxy like I talked about, or Kansas City. But uh, Seattle's not going to go down without a fight anywhere. It'll be much clearer at the very beginning to the first two games, so I guess albeit not that clear. But when they play LAFC this weekend at LAFC, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, I just throw just giving a shout-out to a few people, uh, uh, David and Kim Wright on the Facebook page, are saying that Seattle's going to dominate. They're going to roll this year. Whereas uh, Evan was quick to say, no, we're going to throw a plot twist at you, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Seattle is good at the beginning and then tanks at the end of the season because we're so used to Seattle being great at the end of the season and kind of have a a slow start. Uh, Is that something that you think could be happening in Seattle? Are they just trying to prove the critics wrong? They're going to come out guns a-blazing, but by the middle of the season they're going to be out of ammo? Hard to say, but doubtful. I mean, we've seen the Seattle team come from the brink so many times. Uh, you know, a couple seasons ago, they were, I think, bottom of the West, ended up, you know, making the uh, the playoffs. The with just a ridiculous summer run. So, uh, you know, they may not win the Shield, but they'll, they'll at least be consistent throughout the season, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I agree with you. They are going to be fine. I think it's going to be a very consistent season from them questions of consistency across the board though with some of these other teams vancouver cincinnati montreal dc all teams that we've had at the bottom we could throw rsl in here um because i know that's something that we've had at the bottom they didn't get to play this week they begin their season away at minnesota this weekend so we'll maybe talk more about them 
under this category as well in future episodes. But these guys, all of them were able to get points from their first game. Three of these four teams were able to get the win. What does that say about them? Is this a fluke first game? Is this just the rust from maybe some of the better teams wearing off throughout the season? Um, or is this a real sign of we're turning the leaf here? This is new beginnings. Overanalyze, Avery. Overanalyze. What you got? Yeah, I mean, looking at Vancouver, I, I just think there's too much quality in the rest of the West for them to really, you know, do anything substantial. If they are, uh, you know, a team that consistently gets tight wins, that will do them some good. But I just, I don't think they have the quality overall in that yeah. squad. Yeah. Looking at Cincinnati, um, you, you have to think that their their ceiling is probably a, a playoff team, uh, especially with how inconsistent some of the teams in the East can be. That second half does concern me in terms of their capacity to concede goals. So we'll see what happens yeah. throughout the season. They, they need to prove to be a more consistent team before we make any you know grand. Uh, predictions are on them of course montreal and and dc will probably be uh, a little bit closer to that that playoff situation this season i just think that they have a little bit more experience uh and a little bit more depth around the squad in general uh in particular looking at a montreal side that did really make quite a few acquisitions uh this offseason and i do think has some weapons off the bench offensively um, uh, you know, it's 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 a tough one to call. I think it it might just be a season too soon for a lot of these teams. Mm-hmm. But you new coaches, new circumstances with some of these players. At the very least, they're you know creating building blocks for the future. Yeah, I like that that you say that this isn't lost, right? If the first game's just the first game, and we kind of fall back into a norm of what we expect, all is not lost. Honestly. When I look at these teams, I agree with you, Vancouver. The West is deep, and the West is hard, okay? They're going to need a few more critical pieces before they go out and they're getting a home playoff spot, right? Could they maybe play for a chance at the seventh seed? I don't think they're quite there yet. Great early signs from them. But yeah, if they can be consistent down the road, I'd love to see it. Flipping the, the switch, though, to the Eastern Conference, I feel that the Eastern Conference is much more wide open in how diverse and how much it changes from week to week and how good a teams are. Um, one interesting thing to kind of take note of the Western conference. When you look at the standings, the Western conference had like six teams win. There was only one draw across the West in the East. Only two teams won this weekend. There was a bunch of draws when you, when you saw this uh, Eastern conference uh, competition Looking at, for example, the games we already talked about with Columbus, Philly, and New England, Chicago, and whatnot, they're they're tougher and they're closer in competition out there. So I think if Montreal, DC, and Cincinnati really can turn the leaf, those draws can become wins, and they can be able to be real difference makers, um, and really have something to say about where the season's going to take them. Um, can I say that any of them are locked for the playoffs? No, but one of these three teams will be fighting for that sixth to seventh seed. I have it right now actually being more of a DC 
Montreal, maybe. I think Cincinnati, you're still outside of it. Um, but you're not the bottom of the floor like you were last time. They're they're probably finishing around the ninth seed if I'm going to overanalyze right now. Um, so just outside, like you said, big things to build upon. But uh, talking about building, okay? I'm going to throw one more quick rapid fire question at you, all right? Austin FC, the new team on the block. We know they lost, but overanalyzed their first performance. We did that. We broke them down on how they did against LA, but break it down for us. Austin FC, do they make the playoffs? Are they a legit threat after one week of being able to actually see it? You know, I said it in our season preview. I think I'm going to stick with it. I do think that they are a playoff team in this league. It will prove throughout the course of the season how they deal with injuries, I think, in particular, because I do think they have a good quality starting 11, but there are some questions about maybe how deep that team is, particularly as an expansion side. Um, the, the style of play is there. They have a coach who knows this league incredibly well. It should be an interesting summer as well in terms of what they do from an acquisition standpoint because they have a guy in Claudio Reyna from a sporting director standpoint who has really worked some some wonders in previous teams looking at what he built up in NYCFC as well. Um, at the very least, they're a fun side, and I think that usually I'd say the results go with that. Honestly, I have a different take than you. I don't think that they're going to be the team that everybody's making it out to be. I've said it time and time again. Those are just our three rapid fires for you. There's a bunch of storylines that we could have hit that we definitely missed. Let us know on our Twitter and Facebook what storylines that you are paying close attention to and which ones that you think are going to continue to develop to become changing factors into this historic MLS 26 season. A bunch of good stuff ahead of us. Ivory, we're going to the end of the show. We just broke down rapid fire all of these recent segments. We just rapid fire. And when I say rapid fire, I mean we broke down for over an hour every single team's first weekends back into MLS. There are games this next weekend. With the end of the show, what is one game that you are telling everybody to sit down and watch? Create the time for, order a pizza, turn off your phone. What are you watching this weekend in week two of MLS? Kansas City, Orlando, not really a weekend game. We do have a nice midweek one. Uh, let's see if Kansas City can maintain that momentum. Let's see if Orlando can, can find that spark offensively. I think it's two sides we do expect to be heavily involved in the playoff race this season. Uh, should be a good one. Kansas City, obviously, I'm going to say watch that one as a Kansas City fan. They're going to be on Fox Sports this Friday night, 5.30 p.m. Central Time. I got somebody that messaged me, by the way, calling me out for saying all of my times in Central Time until they got all mixed up. They messaged me about it, and I was like, I am so sorry. I am just didn't even think that everybody's used to Eastern Time or whatnot. So 7.30 Eastern Time will be that game. My game of the weekend to watch I almost said that the LAFC Seattle won, but everybody's going to be watching that one. Everybody's going to be seeing it on ESPN. That is the major Western Conference clash of the Titans, if you will. My, my game that I want everybody to watch in addition to those ones, though, LA Galaxy are going to be hosting 
the New York Red Bulls Sunday night, Fox Sports. That, I think, is a secret good one that people aren't going to necessarily be the first one to watch. It's the last game of the weekend, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, depending on where you're at. But uh, LA Galaxy, we saw the revival of Chicharito. Can he bring it home? And the New York Red Bulls, I mean, are we going to see another Caden Clark Golasso? There's a lot of storylines in that one to pay attention to. All of these games, though, critical, exciting. They're going to do great things as we are really getting into the season. Avery, thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners, wherever you are. Be sure, as we've already said several times, Facebook, Twitter, hit us up your thoughts, your comments, your reactions. Because as always, this is the MLSDG podcast for the fans, by the fans. We love you, everybody. Have a fantastic night.